you have to go into family life as a team and a team goes down with the ship together, right? Or they sail together. This idea of splitting people up into these different groups in the long run cannot be good for people emotionally. But anyways, I we, there's no data to back this up. This is just my medical dad opinion and I'm entitled to it. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we are back for Medical Dads. Look out below! <laughs> I, I'm actually really looking forward to this conversation today, all right? We are, we are going to be talking about parachute kids, also known as satellite families, which is the phenomenon that took place in the 80s and 90s and even today when kids from other countries, especially Asia, end up living in North America while one or both of their parents are back home earning money in Hong Kong slash Taiwan slash China yeah. slash Korea. This is, uh, this is something I did not really know about. Yeah. You know, I, when you said you're going to do parachute kids, I Googled parachute kids. And the only two things that really popped up were a bunch of pictures of kids in kindergarten holding one of these giant parachutes, you know, that you like, <laughs> lift up and down and bounce a ball on and this. And right. the graphic novel, the graphic novel Parachute <laughs> Kids by Betty Tang. Which I imagine from the cover picture probably has something to do with what you're talking about. Correct. <laughs> okay, Dr. Shu has just held up a copy <laughs> of Parachute Kids Graphic Novel. <laughs> One step ahead of me. That's right. <laughs> Before we get into the nitty gritty of Parachute Kids, let me ask you a parenting scenario that has appeared in our house in the last few okay. days. All right? And this is a good one because I think a lot of parents can relate to this, especially parents of younger children. And this is the classic, what do you do when there's a playground bully harassing your kid or someone in your kid's group of friends, right? So basically, scenario is my son's coming home and he's telling me that him and his buddy are minding their own business, but there is a dude in the school who is lately for the last month or two starting to constantly come and bother him, right? And and a lot of these are what we now call microaggressions, which is not a word I even knew until like last year, right? But apparently that's a thing now. So a lot of little aggressive, maybe sometimes passive aggressive actions, but sometimes walking the thin line between micro and macro aggressions. So there's been a couple incidents where my son's seen this other kid grab another kid by the collar, okay. right? And then, and then they struggle a bit and then he lets them go. But kind of came to a head because a couple incidents happened where, you know, my son and this other kid, they basically said, you know, this kid keeps bothering us. Let's report it to the God. teacher. When they reported to the teacher, the teacher asked, confronted the child about it. And the child basically flipped the story on them and said, no, that's not what happened. What happened is they attacked me. <laughs> right. And, and so actually he didn't say they he said that the other guy attacked him. So the other kid, the kid who'd actually gotten kind of bullied, now gets in trouble with the school. Got pulled into the, uh, got pulled into the principal's office. Ended up losing recess for a what? week. And yeah, so so it's a classic case of the police. They caught the wrong dude, right? The, but this this police is the of West. It's not that 
the bully did something to your kids and then your kids reported the bully for what they did to, to, to your own kids. This is that Correct. they tried to Correct. report on somebody else's behalf. So, Well, what's happening here is that my son is not the primary target yeah. of, of, the, of the bullying action, but he's maybe, he's kind of the, what, is it, what do you call it when you're on the side and he's the collateral damage, right? <laughs> Right. So the main, the other kid is the main target. The other kid is my, my, my son's friend. Okay. Right. And so my son's kind of seeing all this happen and he's kind of involved by association. And there've been a few incidents where he gets kind of dragged into it. But if you look at it, the direct things that are happening to him are more of an annoying nature, probably rather than like an outright, you know, direct bullying, though direct bullying is focused on another kid. But what ended up happening was the other kid, like my son, I, I get the feeling they're kind of similar is that they're they're not vocalizing a lot of this stuff really clearly, okay. right? And there's been incidents in our house where sometimes we get on my son's case about something and, you know, he just kind of clams up. And any some kids do that, right, at this age. Like when they're under duress, they just don't speak. Yeah. And when they do that, they just look even guiltier, right? Yeah. So it's very easy to mistake them not speaking for guilt. Right. And we just assume, oh, they must have done something when in fact they yeah. haven't, right? So that's happened with my son before. And I imagine that's kind of what's happening yeah. here because the school is asking the kids like, well, what actually happened? And this other kid presents a very clear scenario, you know, no, nope, I didn't do that. They did that to me. And then the school then turns to these kids and says, is that true? Did you do that? And then now they got there. They're kind of clammed up. They're under pressure. Yeah. And next thing you know, Police got the wrong dude, threw the wrong dude in prison. It's just so bizarre because this would have been two kids coming to the teacher with a with a singular story, mm. and then the teacher would ignore the word of two people over the so, over the word of one. So we don't we don't really know exactly how that part of it transpires, but this thing has been brewing for a while. And the last week or two, my son's just going on and on yeah. about this, like just just like uh, you know, every day comes home tells us these stories about what's happening. Some of the grievances seem a little bit petty. Some of them seem pretty legit, yeah. right? It's typical, like, you know, seven-year-old stuff. And finally, he kept going on and on about it. And my wife's like, you know what? I'm just going to talk to the other parent Oh, and see what... that route. <laughs> not not the other parent that oh, is... Oh, not the um, bully. Not the bully's parents. Yeah, yeah. But actually, my son's okay. friend. Because actually... Yeah, my son's good friends with this kid. We don't really know the parents, although we met them at a birthday party last year. And my son's actually going to the birthday party for this other kid this okay. week. So so we're like, why don't we just ask them what's actually happened and just tell them that, you know, my son's reporting this. Yeah. And does this corroborate with what you're yeah. seeing? And the mom wrote us back and it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, my son did say this, but we didn't really believe him. <laughs> right. Because and I think what happened is the son had gotten into trouble with the school, right? He lost all his recess privileges and the school called the parent and is like, your son's in trouble. Yeah. So of course the parent is going to be like, you know, whatever you did is bad yeah. and and you're in big trouble. And now they kind of realize, wait a minute, that's actually not the case. Because now that the parents have connected, yeah. we're actually seeing that, okay, it is actually two-on-one. I don't think originally anyone knew that it was two-on-one, yeah. right? And and so here lie, herein lies the rub. What is a parent supposed to do in this situation? Like right now we have, so the other parent is, is very upset. Yeah. They're going to go talk to the school yeah. about it, which I feel like is yeah. fair, right? Like if your kid is mercifully, mercilessly getting teased or bullied at school, of course the parent at this age should step yeah. in. Um, but at the same time, I do feel that there is a tread lightly cat thing going on here as a parent. 
because if you get too involved in some of these things, sometimes the backlash can ripple out in ways you don't really expect. Yeah, one just has to be a little bit careful from the point of view. Everything you know about the scenario is still coming to you secondhand from, you know, from the kids. A seven-year-old. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And it's not hard for even five seven-year-olds to have a narrative in their mind that they truly believe that they're the victim. When, you mm. know, if you actually watch it objectively, you can see how, well, there's more than to it than just you getting randomly victimized, right? <laughs> Well, you know how the election got stolen from Donald Trump. He won it legitimately <laughs> fair and square, right? Yeah, sometimes millions and millions of people in a country could all, all be wrong or all have the wrong side of the story. And just one guy knows the truth. But, so there's that aspect to it. But from the way you're describing it, it sounds like you've already analyzed what the root problem is here. The root problem is, is that there's two kids who don't have the skill of speaking up with the proper voice. And so there's only really two mm -hmm. things you can do in this situation, broadly speaking. You can either train the kids to how to better speak up and have a voice. Which you should, but that's like a five-year project or a three-year <laughs> project, probably. Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, sometimes just coaching on one step to try could be enough to help get them out of this particular situation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's one route is you speak for them and... The other option is what you do when you're a parent, right? When you're a parent and your kids can't speak for themselves, then you got to speak for the kids. And that's what seems appropriate in this case is to actually mm. go to the school and say, hey, this is the story that we've heard from both of our kids. And when we're talking to these other parents, they're independently giving us this same story that our kids are giving. And so we want to explore how is it that the discussion was had with the teachers and that just ended up as a rather harsh punishment for one kid and that we didn't really hear about it beforehand. Fair. I feel like this particular school is not handling this as well as other schools handle these type of things. Because I've seen how mm. some of this stuff plays out at my kid's school, which is a public school, but they have a whole restorative justice type of scenario going on at my kid's school. When somebody does something that sounds egregious, they're really getting in both sets of kids. The teachers are really having them talk it out. Uh, oftentimes you got two sets of kids now crying and making up, uh, but at the very least, <laughs> the punishments don't seem to be laid out very one-sided, except cases of rather egregious violence. I mean, I have heard of these scenarios, and obviously I've lived through some of these scenarios, either directly or indirectly in the time I went through school. I feel like my problem with it is that I feel like sometimes I'm a little bit reluctant to make a stir and i think that is that is part of the immigrant in me right i always feel like if we make too much of a stink it could go the other way the, the teacher could look at you and be like listen you guys are coming with to me every two weeks with some issue right yeah. kids got to sort this out themselves like i grew up in the no tattletaling generation that's that's what i learned growing up right like omerta the the sicilian law code of silence which is that whatever happens in the playground stays in the playground because teachers don't want to hear it isn't sicily the place that's associated with all this uh, mafia mob <laughs> violence where they're completely controlled exactly <laughs> exactly right but but i i grew up you know in this setting where i believed that the the street stays the street right and you got to figure out some of these things yourself now admittedly that becomes more and more true as you get older right there the teacher and the principal and your parents have less and less ability to help you as you get older. 
So there is a tipping point at some point. And I don't think that tipping point has happened yet at age seven. I feel like at age seven, yeah, it's cool. Parents should do it. But but I do kind of feel like you do run the risk of becoming that parent. Well, I, I will point out that your kids go to a basically all Asian Christian school where every parent is coming as an immigrant. So I think you're on a level playing field here. If uh, if anything, you've got the superpower. If everybody else doesn't realize the power in actually speaking up, then you're one step ahead of all these other kids. Well, it's it, I'm just talking about it from the, the example of that's where my mindset is. Right. But yeah, from an all from a practical standpoint, I definitely feel like we should stand up for what you know, for our rights when we get wrong. But I just feel like sometimes the system is rigged to not protect you, right? So when you kind of see that the kid who's not presenting the argument that clearly is the one that's getting punished for something they didn't do, that totally feels wrong, but yet at the same time feels very classically typical, right? That's the way these things always work. You end up in a he said, she said match. As adults, you take it to court. Whoever has more money for the better lawyer wins. It's not whoever had the truth wins. Right. And I feel like this is a bit of a life lesson for everybody at this age for these kids. Well, things are a bit different than when we grew up. That's important to note because I know what you're talking about. As a parent, you do sometimes feel a bit of uh, isn't it actually better for their growth and development to let them deal with some of this stuff on their own? And then they mm-hmm. learn from that and, and you know, then they're better off. Although yeah. I think uh, that approach in the past actually has led to great. Then some people learn how to bully and other people grow up to be meek, right? And then in some ways, mm. that's kind of how bullies end up running the world, right? A lot of these corporations, <laughs> you know, a lot of times in the government. So that, uh, that treating things that way doesn't necessarily lead to the uh, outcome that we think it does when we're mindset is, well, they got to figure it out on their own and then they'll learn some valuable life skills from that. But <laughs> all, all that to say, the system now that the kids are growing up and isn't even designed that, that way anymore. So I think it's mm. fair to say that the... Sometimes you got to flip the system or you got to manipulate the system to work for you. So for your kids in this scenario, it's not that you're going in guns a blazing to say to the teacher, you know, oh, you know, these kids are beating up my kids. But what you're going to the teacher is saying, you know, I'm getting this information at home and this is, this is what I'm hearing. And I haven't gotten really any information from the school to understand the insight as to how we ended up here. So that's what I want to mm-hmm. meet and talk about. And, you know, you can explain to me what what really happened uh, and then they'll Fair. that kind of forces them to have to give their description their story and then <laughs> yeah maybe when you go and you meet the teacher especially if you go and open-minded uh, maybe the teacher does tell you some story that you're like ah okay actually yes i can see that maybe this is what happened but since as a parent you're usually inherently going to be the one on your kid's side uh, and you should be the person who believes your kid somebody should be that person for your kid even when your kid's a liar mm-hmm. uh <laughs> you're going to go in and you're going to usually hear the story and then you're going to be able to point out like, okay, well, here's what we got to do uh, to honor uh, my kids' rights in this situation. At the very least, you know, your end goal is to make sure that your kid is not getting picked on anymore at school. And if you do this right. one way or another, the teacher now knows that you as a parent are on them and they're going to be watching out to make sure that, that you're not having to come back to them in a way that they're not right fair, now fair. because... They think this meek kid is not speaking up here. They're not speaking up at home. I don't have to worry about these parents. The, the loudest parents, the most aggressive, loudest parents are always the bully's parents, actually. <laughs> of course, that's the way the world works. Now, I agree 100% with what you're saying, but I did find it 
rather amusing that you're telling me that our entire world has flipped and parenting is completely different while we are preparing for another Donald Trump election special next November, right? Has the world really changed that much? But maybe we're saying that since Donald Trump past childhood, That's right. parenting has gradually changed. So maybe a few generations from now, we'll see something a little bit more reasonable. That's right. That's right. If Donald Trump had gone to school in the, in the current system, then all the kids that he probably manipulated and placed in school would have, had, would have much more of a voice than they, than they might have back then that just reinforced to him that doing what you want and saying what you want is, uh, it leads to getting what you want. <laughs> We'd like to think so. <laughs> We'd like to believe all right, let, let's get on to our topic of the day. Let's talk a little bit about parachute okay. kids. So, yeah, explain to me, how does this become a phenomenon that kids can just be left without, without parents? <laughs> so I actually never even thought of it as a phenomenon because this thing was happening around us all the time, right? Like one of my good friends growing up, he only lived with his mom. His dad was at back home in Taiwan earning money, okay. right? When I got a little bit older, my dad, his brother, and his sister sent one of their children at different times to come live at our house, okay. right? On their own to finish their schooling here, living with us before, that, before the parents actually showed up on their own. So my aunt and uncle a few years later arrived in Canada and then they eventually immigrated. But before they actually immigrated, they sent out this, they sent out this like, uh, what do you call it in science fiction when you sent out like uh, a, probe. a probe to a planet to explore it yeah. first? Yeah, they did that. Yeah, that's so not just science that. fiction. Then, uh, you know, they actually do that in real life. <laughs> send out a, a space <laughs> probe is a real thing. <laughs> they sent out the Mars rover, right? Before human beings could get there. And then, and then, when I was in university to make a little bit of extra money, my parents rented out the basement. So we had a, a, a succession of different guys, girls living in the basement of our house while their parents were overseas. That didn't seem so weird either because it's this whole idea that, you know, you're just going to go study abroad. Right? How, how old are these and, kids that, but, you're, that you're getting here? In high school, okay. right? They, my parents would start running out and there would be kids in high school. Uh, sometimes the parents would come with them. A lot of them were on their own. A few of them were university okay. age. So there was a variety of situations that we encountered. But in all of these, the parents were back in Asia, right? And, and thinking about it, there's another example where um, one of my good buddies, his parents sent him to North America when he was in grade six to live in a boarding house, Whoa. right? And... and parents stayed back home and he's ended up living in North America ever since, right? Separated from his family. So these scenarios were super common. I didn't even really bat an eyelash at thinking, you know what? This might seem really, really strange to people who aren't Chinese or, or coming from these backgrounds. But now looking back on it, I'm like, it is very, very strange. Like thinking about it as a parent, it's like, wow, what would cause people to, to do this? Right. The, the benefit would have to really outweigh the cost in a scenario like this. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. just to clarify, would parachute kid, would that term apply to some parents who are in North Bay or in even more Northern Ontario, the rural remote Northern Ontario, who send their kids for high school, send them to a boarding school in, in Toronto. Would you consider those parachute kids because the parents have sort of sent the kids away? No. So generally, I think the term applies most if the, the children are very, very small, right? And the parents are not even in the country, 
okay. right? I think that's the that's the true definition of it is that one or two of the parents is still back in Asia. Like they're they're on another they're on, they're separated by at least one ocean. Okay. Because this isn't just a typical like send your kids to boarding school. There are a lot of well-off children who grow up in Toronto, right, or in Ontario, and then they they ship their kids off to like a preppy private school in downtown Toronto as a result, right? That that is not the scenario we're talking about. We're talking about the parents are actually pretty far removed, and they're not necessarily they're not necessarily sending them to a true boarding school. They're sending them to a regular school, but making them board with just a regular landlord okay. who's making money. So parachute kids have this other aspect from the way you describe it of they're also in a, in a new culture uh, away from yeah. their parents trying to navigate that on their own. Right. Okay. Right. That's a big part of it. Okay. So this is a really, um, a relatively unique group of kids. Do you think this happens outside of the Asian experience? Are there kids from India being sent in a similar type of scenario? I can't speak to it because I didn't see it, but definitely I saw it a lot with Asian. Yeah. Right. And I think it, it spoke to, the economic uncertainty that existed in the 80s and 90s, right? So in the 80s, what was happening was that mainland China was was preparing to take back Hong Kong, right? So there was this huge influx of immigrants from Hong Kong to Canada at the time because people were thinking 1997 is just a few years away, and when mainland China takes over, Hong Kong is going to become communist, and every, all our opportunities are going to be closed off. So we need to get our families and our children out of here before that time hits. So when you get to the mid-80s, you start seeing families coming en masse from Hong Kong to Canada, right? Similar-ish issues happen in Taiwan. Not so much because mainland China was lurking, but just because a lot of people in Taiwan felt it was Taiwan at the time was a very like economically unstable place in the sense that although the economy starts booming, it wasn't booming in a way that everyone was profiting from. So a lot of the families who grew up a little bit in, you know, in a struggling environment, like my parents' families, thought North America is the place to go, land of opportunity. No matter what opportunity we get there, it will be more than the opportunity we have here. Right. And so many people, this, this happens in Taiwan more in the 70s and the earlier part of the 80s. So they start sending people over to North America. And it was only by the middle, late part of the 90s where everyone flipped around. It's like, you know what? Actually, the economy in Asia has taken off, right? Like Taiwan is doing great financially. Hong Kong, at some point, they realized, actually, mainland China is not so bad, right? We can still make our money here even after China takes over. And even th this phenomenon even happens with people from mainland China, right? So at some point people stopped coming because they said, Oh, I can make as much money back there. So this thing is still happening, but not as much. And, and people started actually returning. <laughs> they sent their kids here. A lot of the kids studied here for a few years, finished their schooling. And then they said, you know what? I can make more money back home. And then they flew back. Right. So for a lot of times this ended up becoming just like a temporary education destination yeah. or like a childhood destination, but then they left many, many, many scenarios, but it all speaks to this idea that, economically there was some reason that drove people to come okay. here i mean i've got a bit of experience with jamaica since that's part of my background and you didn't quite have this what you're describing where the parents send the kids in advance to go to school somewhere that i knew of although i could maybe mm. see it's happening uh, but you did sometimes have the scenario of parents end up with a kid who they just can't really afford or for whatever sort of reason they can't raise that kid so it's not so much a parachute. Mm -hmm. It's more like a dump your payload. 
to that. Right? You know, <laughs> they just send that kid to live with the, with relatives and that family raises them, right. and sometimes raises them as if that was their own child. So I'm a little bit mm. familiar with that scenario, but this is very interesting to me. This is a unique thing. Uh, now, you described mm. that it was often high school students living in your basement, but is that really parachute kids? Or you're saying more parachute kids, the connotation is that they're younger, younger kids. I guess there's just many different versions of it. So what one version of it I think that sticks out to me that's fairly common that I think should be a category into itself is that sometimes p- families would send the children and mom to North America while the dad would live back in China or Hong Kong or Taiwan. And that that phenomenon still happens now. That's where I think the parents are saying, okay, we're in this bind. We want more opportunity for our kid. But but if we both come out to North America, we're not going to be able to find a good job. A lot of times the dad has a reasonable job. They're making a reasonable income. If they come to a new country, they don't speak the language. They don't have the certifications to get the same type of position. So it starts to make sense in this twisted way that they're just going to stay in Asia making bank. Yeah. Right. So. That is a common scenario. So many times mom is living here, just gets the checks from the dad. And, you know, we talked about deadbeat parenting on a recent episode, but you end up with these weird fractured families. And I saw this a lot. So I feel like that is a category unto itself. Then there's a slightly different category where the kids are a little bit older and both parents say, you know what? You guys can handle this on your own. We're both going to be back there while you guys make a go of it. That's actually the, the scenario that happens in the graphic novel, okay. <laughs> Parachute Kids. It, I think it does happen. It's not as common. I did know someone that lived this way back in high school. And it was, it was interesting because the parents were so absent that the kids really at age 16, 17 have the run of everything to yeah. themselves, right? Like these are the kids who are taking their report cards photocopying it with slight modifications and then faxing it back to their parents to see, right? The, a lot of hijinks in that category. Not all of it healthy. Yeah, I can but, only imagine. You know. I have so many questions about all of this. But let me ask this question first. <laughs> Under these different scenarios, would this be a parachute kid scenario, the scenario where the dad, instead of leaving, or instead of the dad staying behind and having the kids come to Canada, uh, a parent comes to Canada and they're working. They've got some like opportunity or training that they do here, uh, but their their mm-hmm. wife and kids or their partner and kids are back in another country. Is that uh, would you still tr- classify those as parachute kids, or is that just a parachute parent? <laughs> I have never seen that scenario happen. Actually, usually when people choose in this scenario to come to Canada, it's for the sake of the children. They want the children to have more opportunity, right? And it often involves the risk of putting the kids in a different environment for the sake of their future opportunity. It's not usually for the parents opportunity. If the parent is able to get a job here that pays them that well, that they could send the money home, the parents usually will be bringing the family with them. And they're n- now they're just coming as regular immigrants. Well, you, That's the typical scenario that most of most people go you through. Might, uh, you might actually have seen some of these parachute parents or worked alongside them without realizing it's not an uncommon thing in medicine. Mm-hmm. Somebody, who went to medical school somewhere else manages to come here for residency training, but they don't bring their family mm. with them. They don't have visas and all this stuff for their families, but they come, they work here, and then their goal long-term is to hopefully uh, uh, graduate, get a work permanent work visa or permanent resident status, and then bring their family to them. 
So they're taking this big gamble, yeah, yeah. leaving their family behind. So I've, I've met a few, I, I worked alongside a few people like that when I was doing my own training. Uh, and it, was, it blew my mind. It blew my mind that somebody could be here while their kids are somewhere else. This is not a parachute kid or a parachute parent, all right? This is actually a very, very common scenario that I hadn't even lumped with this because this is the scenario of the Filipina housekeeper industry, okay. right? These are, these, this is like a huge thing. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to make light of it, but because economics in some parts of Asia are so difficult, from people from some of these more struggling economies, Philippines, Indonesia, to them, I, I have heard it said uh, in some discussions that the Philippines, their most profitable export is manpower, right? They can deliver housekeepers that the whole world wants. All they, all these people have to do is pick up and relocate and leave their families, right? So it's a very common thing. It happens a ton in Toronto. It happens a lot in other parts of the world where they leave their families, they leave their young children behind, and they're usually women because they're looking for jobs in the housekeeping industry, and they end up setting up shop, and then they work here for many years where we pay them, which to us is pretty low-paid wages, but when they send that money back home, it's worth a lot, okay. right? And it ends up splitting the family. They grow up without their children. Sometimes if they're lucky, after a few years, the children can follow. Sometimes it never happens, okay. and it's just a very bizarre thing to think about as North Americans, right? And we often don't think about this, right? We often, we hire a cleaner, they come in, we don't really think about their life situation. You start to think ab about their life situation, it starts to get really complicated. Yeah. But that is not a parachute not kid. Parachute. This is a different scenario. All right, so, we need a different podcast for yeah, it. Yeah, there are, there are other similar scenarios to what you're describing where it's more like the parent comes over first as the probe uh, and then they yeah. get the lay of the land, maybe get established and then maybe bring the, the family over. But Self-probing yeah. will be a topic for a different podcast. You want to talk about that today? <laughs> right. Okay. Now, I, I feel like both of these are bad. Like, as a, as a binary thing, if things are either good or bad in the world, it's just not healthy for anyone to have the family get split up into multiple pieces for prolonged periods of time, right? Regardless of who's leaving what. Yeah, well, this, this leads me to my next set of questions about this topic. So you've known some of the people who went through this and you described some of the antics. Uh, so what would you opine is the effect on this by the time people reach adulthood? Or what, what have you seen that you would sort of say, this looks like what uh, the consequence of how this worked out for these, for these children who then grew up that way? It's impossible to say. Yeah. I mean, life is so difficult. And there's like, it's not just this one decision. This one decision happens. Many other things unfold as a result of it. Some people seem to be doing well overall. Some people seem to really struggle overall. And would they have struggled without this weird family dynamic? Maybe. Would they have done well without this family dynamic? It's hard to say. I don't think you can easily make a judgment on it. Like many years have passed. I've seen many examples of it. I still can't say, well, that's bad because it's definitely going to cause them to have mental health issues yeah. or or relationship issues or mommy or daddy issues somewhere down the road at the same time i can't really say that i would encourage it but there's no real data right the, we each see these examples anecdotally it's too hard to draw real conclusions i i would say that i wouldn't recommend it for anyone to do this under almost any circumstances um but i think we'd have to pull some of those kids and who grew up in this environment and talk to them and see what they think. I'm just seeing it as a third party observer. Yeah. 
we wouldn't be able to make a recommendation for people whether you should or shouldn't do this. And I think most people, and I, again, this is a guess, but I would think most people don't inherently want to send their kids away, at least not for more mm-hmm. than a few hours. <laughs> yeah, a situation would have to be pretty desperate for you to consider this as an option. Or at least that you would be looking at it and thinking, for where we're at, uh, this will give us some benefit long-term that's worth the sort short-term suffering. So, you know, mm-hmm. if it were possible to do that, there are many countries, I mean, including Jamaica in certain periods of history, where, yeah, you could totally see the parents saying, you know, it's going to be hard to have my kid away from me, but I send them off for five years now. And that's the difference between whether they can have, like, all these opportunities in the world versus, you know, whether they have the limited opportunities that we have available for them here. Yeah. So I could, I could totally see that. So in that sense, no judgment for parents who've done this in the past, I think. They probably had to weigh all these things and make a decision. But what we can right. maybe talk a little bit about is uh, what are some of the potential consequences of doing that? And <laughs> I'm sure, well, I would think that there is an area of study on this, that somebody must have thought, oh, let me do some surveys or some follow-up with people who've had this experience uh, and sort of scientifically determine uh, if there are trends that are associated with it. But I, I would guess that... Uh, people who've had this experience probably learned to become independent uh, in a way that uh, that people who haven't had that experience wouldn't uh, necessarily have easily gained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would assume that. And they might have had to live through the school of hard knocks, right? right. The life on the street and figure things out for themselves in a way that you don't have to when your parents are around helping you out. And, uh, you know, everybody reaches a certain point in their life where they start doing some things without their without parental oversight. Uh, and you can extrapolate mm-hmm. a little bit from what you know of kids whose parents are around in the same country, but who don't have a lot of oversight from their parents. That can lead to kids who are in some ways more independent and sometimes uh, like maybe more creative in how they uh, handle various aspects of their life. Mm-hmm. But I guess we don't have that data right now to know uh, anything other than anecdotally. But what are some of the other stories that you that you have about some of these kids? So this one about people changing their grades and faxing them home, that's a pretty good one, a pretty good example of some of the things I, I would imagine myself potentially doing as a teenager if well, I had oversight. Well, one obvious story. So I'm working in a family medicine clinic now. Most of my patients are Chinese. And this phenomenon is still happening now. So many... Now it's more families from mainland China, right? Because the immigration patterns have kind of changed. So a lot of families have a child or two children here living with mom while dad is back home earning the big bucks in China. And what I see a ton of is a lot of STDs, right? A lot of the mom contracting STDs that she's picking up. Yeah, the moms are picking up STDs from the dad, right? The dad still comes back from from Asia once in a while for a conjugal visit. And next, you know, STDs are running rampant, right? And the funny thing was, like, this was just kind of like an inside joke. Like, if you worked in the clinic, like, you'd hear, you know, these scenarios being bandied about. But one time, a public health nurse called me. Like, she was all up in arms. And she's like, you know, she had spoken to one of the patients. Because when you get an STD, public health gets notified. And public health, if they're doing their job, they notify, they talk to the patient. They counsel them. And this lady for, calls For every me, STD like, or just for certain ones? Uh... 
I think they get notified, but whether they call them or not is a separate thing. But there's actually like a document that gets filled out by us that says, okay, this person has an STD. This is the explanation. And, you know, either I counsel them. And if I don't have time to counsel, sometimes the public health will counsel them. Right. Okay. So public health calls me and is like, this lady is a sitting duck for STDs. I see this all the time. You got to make sure that she's using protection. You got to get her. And I guess this thing had happened so many times that this public health nurse was like really wound up about this issue. <laughs> Which is fair enough, because it did happen a ton, right? And it's, it seems like a sad consequence of this thing is that there are these dudes out there who are suddenly, you know, nobody's around, so they do whatever they want, right? So definitely, I will say, like, if you're talking about what are the long-term consequences, I don't believe that this scenario could possibly be good for marriages, right? <laughs> to have the two people living far apart for years on end. That, and, and the only thing connecting you together is the paycheck and the conjugal visit that happens once every two years. That is not a healthy relationship. It's eye-opening because in my mind, I just sort of imagined this parent having this hard decision to make. This parent being, <laughs> oh gosh, the kids will be missing me. I'll miss them. I won't be able to influence their mm -hmm. value system because they'll be gone and influence all these other people. But it's for the best thing for the family, best thing for the child. But you didn't think about the booty. There's a lot of booty happening I here. I certainly didn't imagine it. But now that you said it, it makes sense that there's a lot of guys out there who probably that's their main reason is not just the booty, <laughs> but that they're like, yeah, I want my I want my single life back. I want the life I had back before marriage, but a divorce yeah. is challenging. But here's a good solution. I'll send you away <laughs> and then I'll do like I'll party hardy while you're gone. Uh, yeah, I guess that. Yeah, I, I, I do think from like, you know, you can talk about, you know, what's the long term consequence of splitting up your family and, and we probably can't put a finger on it. But I think the consequence of a married couple splitting up physically, like not being in the same place for very long, that is a recipe for potential trouble. Right. And then and if you look at it and it stretches out longer, like I've seen a bunch of these things with older people who, you know, the dad just ended up working in a different town from the mom, right, on a different side of the continent or on a different continent. And they and on the outside, they act like a happy couple when you see them, on, you know, everyone meets up for Christmas or something. But really, they're not around on a day to day basis. You really start to question what is actually going on in these relationships. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the stigma associated with all of this. I mean, imagine, imagine <laughs> you're in this situation where you've had to leave your partner and you're here with your kid and you're doing this because it's for the better of the family and somebody's coming to tell you, oh yeah, 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 you, you gotta, you gotta start, to, you gotta tell your partner when he comes back that, uh, that you're using protection, <laughs> STD protection. <laughs> How would that conversation even go? Like, oh, uh, well, I haven't seen you in so long, uh, spouse. Uh, but um, you know something that's different than when we were living together is now we're going to start using condoms. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's sad to say there's a lot of stigmas, but this is actually real life, right, for a lot of people. So it is tough. I think the lesson of it really is that it, I can almost not imagine any scenario where it's worth splitting the group up. Like I feel like you have to go into family life as a team and a team goes down with the ship together, right? Or they sail together. This idea of splitting people up into these different groups in the long run cannot be good for people emotionally. But anyways, I, but there's no data to back this up. This is just my medical dad opinion and I'm entitled to it. Well, certainly if you're coming from a place of already believing uh, in the concept of, uh, of a family, right? If you, cause I mean, a lot of people question whether you even need to get married at all and, and all these other these things that we take for granted in our current society. Right? right. But if you if you already buy into the premise of the family unit, then naturally 
anything that splits the family unit up weakens the the family unit. Mm. So. Right. But I guess you're right. We live in a society where there are alternatives to the traditional family unit, right? You can have family unit where the dad's not there and it can prosper, it can succeed, but it's harder, right? Maybe. I guess it could be easier if, if depending on who the dad is. I mean, it's, it's a luxury but, of the time but, we live in that we could even talk about this yeah. as if it's the norm. Given that there's plenty of periods in history, even history that wasn't that long mm-hmm. ago, where the norm, the thing that you can't control is dad is gone off to war. Dad's gone off to mm. war, off to some other thing that he has to go do for work or whatever. Um, and there's certainly been times in history where, yeah, parents would have been happy, grateful for the opportunity that they could send their child away for some kind of schooling or for some other opportunity. And, you know, they would only see their kid periodically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. just to you know, put the longer historical perspective on it. <laughs> that said, I, I guess I do feel like the reason we have what we have now is because this is the ideal that we've been working for throughout history. You know, also, toilets and access to plumbing was not universally available throughout all of history. I'm not advocating that we should uh, get rid of that or that the idea. I think, it, I think it really just speaks to the degree of insecurity people feel or felt about the future wherever they're living, if they're willing to entertain this as an option, right? Like, I feel like, you know, if if things got really, really bad, sure, the, the, you know, parents maybe have to make tough choices, but it really speaks to how insecure they felt in Hong Kong or Taiwan or Jamaica or any of these places where they felt, you know what, the best option is to break up the family and we'll live with it because, you know, it, it might hurt for 10 years or five years, but later on it'll be, it'll pay off. And uh, and, and that's a tough call. And it's similar with the Filipino uh, situation with the nannies. Like, no one wants to leave their family, I imagine, right? Especially no one wants to leave their children. You might want to leave your husband if he's a jerk, but leaving your children behind, that is not an easy thing to do. And it really just must mean that they're in a very, very hopeless situation if they're willing to entertain that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm imagining the scenario where you've tried to warn the scientists, but they won't listen. But yes, your planet is going to explode. <laughs> And there's only one tiny little rocket ship that you can send your son away in. Uh, so off mm. you send him, planet explodes, kid's on a whole other planet. Um, but when he gets there, turns out he has superpowers. He has adoptive parents who raise him with a strong moral compass. And uh, he becomes mm. a hero to the entire planet. <laughs> yeah. You, you know Superman and all the superheroes from that generation actually are mostly created by Jewish creators, right? The entire modern superhero mythos that we have, right? Like Superman, Spider-Man, most of the artists, most of the creators that did this stuff were Jewish, right? And and that is part of the story of of them having to find new places, sometimes have new identities. It's a, it's actually an interesting thing, but th- I'm talking about something completely <laughs> completely on a side. Uh, but we'd re- be remiss if we didn't find a way to, to bring superheroes into this. <laughs> Well, we sh- we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about Parachute Kids, the graphic oh, okay, novel, which segue. is what made me th- it made me think about this whole topic. Basically, I was at I was at Costco, right? And I don't really like going to Costco; it's too crowded. The deals are great, but it's just like an a- it's like an afternoon. You can't just go there for thirty minutes, right? You're there for like a couple hours, and so. If I go, I always make a point to check out the book area, okay. right? And you know that if you're a writer. 
if your book makes it into Costco, then you've made it, right? Because now it's being sold en masse to everybody. Forget right? Oprah's book club. I was, it's all about Costco. <laughs> yeah. And and so I see this graphic novel, Parachute Kids. I'm looking, I'm like, huh. It's, so basically what they did is they this lady, Betty Tang, she took all these different Parachute Kids scenarios, lumped them into one story, right? And it's a story about a Taiwanese child and her siblings who get left in North America suddenly because the parents are like, oh, yeah, by the way, this wasn't just a vacation. We are uh, mom and dad are going back to Taiwan, but you guys will be living with your uncle here on oh, your own. It's a surprise. Right. It's a surprise. <laughs> right. And and I think versions of this did happen back in the 80s. And now the kids are left to fend for themselves. And it's actually a really neat thing to see these scenarios that I witnessed firsthand, but maybe didn't live through firsthand. But I saw them in my friends get laid out in a graphic novel form, right? Like the, the kids are struggling with the language. They don't speak it. They have to find new friends. They don't fit in. And, you know, a lot of weird unintended consequences as they struggle with this stuff. And I was like, wow, that actually is the stuff that we grew up around. And it's nice to see it getting put to page. It took 20, 30 years, but, but the survivors of this stuff are now starting to tell those stories. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So if people want to check out Parachute Kids, the graphic novel, I am stumping for this book to be read. In the absence of any good research on how things turn out for the children who go through this, this graphic novel is our definitive source of information. I think I am a big believer as I know listeners to this podcast. know I'm a big believer in storytelling, right? That's the whole point of this podcast is that the stories actually have resonance in a way that you know if we're waiting around for data data never tells us the, the thing in the same emotional way as a good story does it's a qualitative research study is what we call this now <laughs> but uh yeah this has been very interesting for me because uh, I, I feel like perhaps for some of our listeners as well we didn't really realize that this was a thing that had a name for for it you call these mm. parachute parachute kids but as far as graphic novels go, this is the perfect setup for a writer. Because when you're writing stories about kids, it's always hard to think of scenarios in which the kids can get into all kinds of adventures and antics without their parents just simply stepping in and being like, well, no, I'm going to stop that from happening. So usually the parents have to be killed or uh, are somehow trapped in another world or another dimension. Sometimes the parents are missing and they right. have to find them. But uh, yeah, your parents just dropped you off. I told you this vacation dropped you off. This is like the Hansel and Gretel plot right there. It is a great setup. It is a great setup. I remember the first ever Asian American movie I ever saw in the movie theater was a movie called Better Luck Tomorrow. It was directed by Justin Lin, who later became famous for becoming the Fast and Furious director. He directed a whole chunk of those movies. But his initial big like Hollywood breakthrough was this little indie film called Better Luck Tomorrow. And the main premise of it was a bunch of kids in California doing really well in school while their parents are away in Asia. And as long as they did well in school, the parents didn't ask any questions. And then, then you know, they're getting close to graduating. They get into all sorts of mischief, right, and, and, and beyond mischief. And it was just kind of neat to start to see this thing getting explored on screen and now in a graphic novel form. So without any spoilers, you can say it's a good graphic novel? Oh, I've read it. It is actually really good. And, and kids in the you know age six to age 10 11 12 category that it's written in a way that's 
accessible to them and interesting to them. So if your kids are into things like the Babysitter's Club graphic novels, you know, that type of thing, this will be a good yeah, the one. The cover looked in the, like it was in a similar style. So you're here to hear first, yeah. folks, Parachute Kids recommended with Dave's warning that by the time you finish reading this book, you may think it's a good idea to send your kids to another country. <laughs> you won't. No. You won't. Wow. All right. I think that's a pretty good podcast. <laughs> all right, folks. We will see you all in a week's, in a week's time, maybe. <laughs> see you in a week, folks.